Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Why don't we start first with Game 7. Come on now. You didn't really think the Heat were going to let themselves get punked like that, did you? Did you really think that Spo and Hemi and Caleb and Gaucho Gabe were going to let themselves go down in history as the biggest chokers ever? Come on now. Come on. Come on. Get that out of here. Come on. Come on. Of course, Heat culture pulled it out. And of course, the Celtics managed to pull a Celtics and go completely unreliable and completely horrible at the worst possible time. Of course, when the bleep really hit the fan, Miami was ready and Boston was not. Of course, when the bleep really hit the fan, the Heat were the Heat and the Celtics were the Celtics. I mean, what did we really expect? And make no mistake about that, that was a disaster. That was a catastrophe for the Celtics. It's one thing to lose a Game 7 at home, but it is another to get your ass beat. Grant Williams style. One game at a time. We can't look too far ahead. Ouch. And um, make sure that we... Good job, Grant. I mean, get your ass beat like that. Unfortunately, I don't think that Grant was getting any attaboy ass slaps after the game last night. Nobody on the Celtics deserves any attaboy ass slaps after that bleep show. In fact, I hate to do this, and I thought about this, and I'm not even sure it's the right thing to do. And I'm not sure you'll allow it. I saw what happened when, for instance, any of my family tried to bust out of Boston and come to California. They dragged their ass right back. Like my dad was the only one who got out. My dad and one uncle. But after watching what I saw last night, I'm pretty certain that I would like to renounce my half-chowed status after that garbage. Garbage! And yes, I am well, more on that in a minute. I'm well aware that Jason Tatum turned his ankle on the opening possession of the game and appeared to struggle with that injury the rest of the game. And, and, so, I just don't care. And really, neither does anybody else. You either play through it or somebody else has to step up. For instance, where the hell was Jalen Brown last night? Where the hell were any of the Celtics last night? To quote the GM, not exactly a bunch of lasers, are they? You know, we're sitting here with a lot of lasers on our team. Yeah, Boston, too. I mean, exactly what was their game plan after shocking Miami and ripping game six at the last second? What was the game plan? To come in and knock over the backboard for game seven? They shot nine for 42 from beyond the arc. Now, normally I would say something like, I'm pretty sure that Joe Mazzulla has forgotten more basketball than I'll ever know. But I'm not even sure that's true. I mean, after you miss your first 12 threes, my guy, maybe you have somebody attack the basket. I mean, what an unbelievably sorry effort. You win three in a row. You absolutely rip Miami's heart out in game six. 
to force a Game 7 in your own building only to get curb stomped at home. It's embarrassing to you, to your fans, and to me. Well, half of me, given that I'm half chowed. Back to my original point. After watching last night, I never thought that I would ever, ever say anything like this before. But I am thinking of going full no-cal and ignoring my half-chowed heritage because that was embarrassing as hell and insulting as hell to me as a half-chowed. Like, half-chowed, full-ass performance. And again, I am half-chowed, half-no-cal. And fully conflicted. My father was born in Boston, and for some reason, I didn't know this until recently, my mother was born in NoCal. Half chowed, half NoCal. But after seeing what happened last night, I may renounce my half chowed status. I mean, make no mistake about this. Don't get this twisted. Boston was not built to get to the NBA Finals this year. They were built to win it all. So getting hammered in Game 7 in their own house to an 8th seed is disappointing as hell, regardless of how tough Miami is. And by the way, they're a hell of a lot tougher than the Celtics ever will be. They should have never been down three games to none to an 8th seed, and they should have never choked in Game 7 in their own place. What I'm saying is there is something inherently wrong with them. And this is not about Tatum rolling his ankle in the opening minutes. That's not what this is. There's something inherently wrong with them. Wrong in their DNA, wrong with their culture, wrong with their roster. So who is to blame? Is it the players or is it the coach? And how do you fix it? Because it's definitely broken. This is not a part of the process. Falling behind an eight seed, three games to none, and then choking and getting blown out at home in game seven is not a part of any process on the way to the Larry O. And even worse, half fam. (laughs) This is incredible. If we are still half fam. Even worse, half fam. It's not just the Celtics. It's the Bruins, too. Boston is the first city to lose a home game, a game seven, lose a home game seven to number eight seeds in both hockey and basketball in the same season. I mean, holy crap, half fam. Take that for data. Take that for data. And again, I really don't want to hear about Tatum. And his excuses. I would love to hear what Jalen Brown's excuse is, though. How the hell does that guy, that alleged max-out dude, have that game in that situation? Especially when he knows his wingman is dinged. One for nine from three and eight turnovers is absolutely hideous from that dude in that spot. That's not stepping up. That's stepping down. That's stepping off a cliff and then taking the entire team with you. That's getting the entire team on a bus and then driving it off a cliff. In theory, the great thing about having two max players is that in a situation like that, you know, if for some reason something happens to one of them, or if for some reason one of them does not step up, at least you have the other one who's there to show up. But there was no alpha last night between Tatum and Brown, a.k.a. Robin and Robin. All the alpha was on the other sideline. 
All the dogs were dressed in heat uniforms last night, beginning with Caleb Martin. This dude's a freaking monster. He's a freaking assassin. He's a killer. Look, I'm not going to say that Jimmy Butler did not deserve to be the MVP. However, I would say Caleb Martin deserved it just as much. And last night, that dude came through huge, just as the Heat culture came through huge. So we can all forget about them almost blowing the series because almost is worth nothing, less than nothing. The Heat got it done, and they did it exactly the way they said they would do it, just exactly the way Hemi Buckets declared that they would exactly a year ago. I know you saw that soundbite last night. But a year ago, the Celtics took the decisive Game 7 of the Conference Finals, and it was at that point that Jimmy Butler famously said, we will be back, and when we do come back, we will get over. Next year, we will have enough, and we're going to be right back in the same situation, and uh, we're going to get it done. Got to give it to Hemi. Got to give it to Hemi. Dude could not have been more dead on. I guess you could add clairvoyance to this dude's long list of talents. And I know playoff Jimmy became store brand Jimmy for a couple of moments, even a couple of games in this series. But when it came to game, game seven, when they had to have it, when they had to have it, Jimmy was Hemi again. And when the Celtics had to have it, their guys were nowhere to be found. They're alphas. So as bumpy as that ride was for Miami in the series, the truth is they basically had enough to finish the job in game six on Saturday night. Hemi was rough for three quarters in that game. But then he was absolutely electric in the fourth. He knocked down three of the biggest brass free throws you're ever going to see. It looked like they were good. It looked like they were done. It looked like they had finished only to have this brass-busting moment that, well, frankly, you never expect to have happened, but it did. Life will inbound. It's off the smoke for the seventh game. Now, tipped in, but the buzzer sounded. The light was on. It'll be reviewed. I don't think he got that anything yet. You have to protect the offensive rebound. Oh, he got he rid of it. He sure did. That's a Celtic and win, and we're going to game seven. The Celtics are going to win. There's a game seven back in Boston. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Don't make a shake or eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper instead. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you are buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And if you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? The Celtics are going to win. There's a game seven back in Boston. So why do I reset that? Because I want to give the Heat credit for not only staving off the biggest potential choke job in the history of the association, but for getting back up off the mat after that all-time kick to the stick, that all-time blast of their collective package. I have no idea how the Celtics blow the series after that. And they didn't just blow the series. They didn't even show up for Game 7. Like I said, Game 6 was really Game 7. 
And the Celtics apparently took that to heart because they treated that Game 6 like it was a Game 7, and then they treated Game 7 like it was a preseason game, which is yet another brutal look for Joe Mazzulla. But if you're wondering what the hell happened, don't bother asking this guy because you're just going to get some sulky, butthurt, one-word response. Like, all of a sudden, this dude seems to think that he's like the hoops hood man or the non-accomplished, utterly clueless version of pop with no sense of humor and a really bad attitude. Even when Missoula is trying to be motivational, he's still absolutely miserable. Check out this attempt at a pregame speech last night. Last game, it took 47 minutes, 59.999 seconds. All right? Tonight, it may take 48, it may take 53, it may take 58. It doesn't matter. You bring it and you stay in it for however long you have to stay in it for. You better smile like you do. You better have the most fun you can. All right? That's the most important thing. Let's go. Let's go. Celtics on three. I mean, Joe Missoula, Tom Jimsula. Yeah, that fired everybody up. Ready to run through a brick wall for that guy. Or lie down and take a nap for 48 minutes. Yeah, that rallied everybody up. That lit a fire under everybody's ass with that incredible speech. I'm not sure how you can really run this dude off the bench only three months after naming him the permanent head coach and signing him to an extension. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say, that guy's got to go. You got to fire that guy. I'm not saying that. However, I am going to say, I'm not sure how you bring him back. At least, how are you excited to bring him back? Especially when that series just showed the entire world what a world-class head coach looks like and what a world-class head coach can do to Joe Missoula. But then again, it should not surprise anybody that Missoula's culture was no match for the Heat culture. It's no surprise that this dude... No surprise at all that that dude was no match for this dude. The inevitable setbacks happen, and it's how you deal with that uh, collectively. There's a lot of different ways uh, that it can go. Um, It can sap your spirit. It can take a team down uh, for whatever reason. Uh, With this group, it's it's steeled us and made us closer, made us tougher, uh, and... You know, these are lessons that, uh, you know, hopefully we we can pass along to our children, you know, that you can develop this fortitude. um, And and sometimes you have to suffer, you know, for the things that you want. And, and, you know, game six, uh, the only thing, you know, that we could do is sometimes you have to laugh at the things that make you cry. Like, I'll see that dude in the Hall of Fame. That dude's incredible. Missoula, on the other hand, how rich is it that he's telling his team, you better bleep and smile when I've never seen the guy smile. And he looks miserable. But you better bleep and smile. If there was ever a series and a moment that summed up the heat culture, the next man up attitude, the willingness to grind, the belief, the resilience, the toughness, the grit, that no matter what happens to us, it doesn't matter. We'll be fine. We'll find a way. We're going to win. It was this series. And if there was ever a series to highlight how the Celtics are lacking in every one of those categories, it was this series. As sketchy as it got, nobody should have ever doubted. Both those teams 
showed us who they were a long time ago. The Heat are winners. The Celtics are the opposite of that, at least on the big stage when it matters most. So, South Florida fan, it is safe to breathe for the time being. I know it was stressful, but now that it's over, well, you better do this. You better smile like you. The thing is, did you see Spolster afterwards? You know, that whole thing about they were making a point on the broadcast of saying that Pat Riley famously said there's only two things. Winning in misery. Spolstra, like, he gets it. This guy's perspective is awesome. Like, he was smiling. He understood it. He said, look, I know we're not done yet. I know we have this crazy challenge awaiting us. We know we're underdogs. But you know what? What we just did was so hard. It was so, so hard. We are going to enjoy this. We're going to get on that plane, and we're going to celebrate, and we're going to take this moment, and we're going to take it in, and we're going to enjoy it. And then we're going to get to Denver, and then we're going to go to work. Like, this dude gets it. I'll see that guy in the Hall of Fame. One more thing. We killed James Harden earlier in the playoffs for being non-clutch, unclutch, but at least for one game, he did carry his team. When Joel Embiid couldn't play. So what's that say about you, JB? Did Jalen Brown just learn how to dribble last week? This guy, it was a turnover factory. Just an assembly line of mishandles, bad passes, offensive fouls, heat pokeaways. I mean, Brad Stevens should move this guy to either Detroit or Cleveland. It's all factories. Because he's a turnover factory. It's all factories. And even saying afterwards, like, it's my fault. Yeah, we know. We know, Jalen. Tell us something we don't know. That's not good enough. How does that guy play like that in Game 7 in his own building? Like, I want to say good luck getting that max contract, JB. But you probably will. You probably will. But after last night, and with that handle... Maybe you should be asking for the super men. Just made that up. The super men. Guys, keep yourself tight and feeling confident with new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant, reformulated with 72-hour sweat and odor protection and one-quarter moisturizing cream. Stop worrying about your underarms so you can be present for the moments that matter. Do not let underarm insecurities keep you at arm's distance from the ones you care about. Buy new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant with 72-hour sweat and odor protection wherever personal care products are sold. He is Howard Beck. Howard, what's going on? How are you? Doing well, Romy. How are you? Good, good. Howard, appreciate you. Let me start with saying that that was about as weird a series as you're ever going to see. But what do you make of Boston, Howard, coming all the way back from that 3-0 deficit to force a Game 7 in their own home only to get blown out the way they were? It's funny because... If you had asked me to assess, you know, certain aspects of the NBA postseason and just the strangeness of it all and everything, just this kind of chaotic postseason, I would have said, you know, Jim, I think the Miami Heat might be the most confusing team I've ever seen because they underachieve in the regular season. They nearly get knocked out in the play-in. They become an eighth seed. They, and then, you know, they upset the Bucks. They were very confusing, and they remain confusing, but also frankly, just awesome. Um, the Heat are just super impressive. But they've now, by knocking out the Celtics, the Celtics are now the team that like it's completely most confounding to me at this stage because the Celtics, and I, granted, listen, Jason Tatum hurt his 
ankle on the first play of the game last night. I, I, I get it. I get it. But that the Celtics, they were playing with fire this entire postseason. They arguably should have lost in game six to the Sixers, if not for a, a late Tatum explosion after he'd had a dud of a game up until that point. They save themselves. They get they win game seven. All credit to them. But the Celtics, you know, on paper, and on paper we know what it's worth, but everybody in the league, Jim, had the same view of the Celtics going into these playoffs, even when the Bucks were still alive, which was the Celtics had the best top-to-bottom talent, the best depth, um, and they were at worst co-favorites to come out of the East with the Bucks, And they're not. They're not doing that. Um, I, 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 it's hard to say exactly you know, where the flaws lie, right? Is, it, is this about coaching and everybody's going to point to Joe Mazzulla, and I, I get that, that there's some fairness to that. Is it about their two stars simply not being able to, to d- deliver the same level of consistency that y- you need of, of players at that caliber. Um, do you want to just chalk it up to Tatum getting hurt? But, uh, you know, the fact is this is a team with a lot more high-level talent than the team they just lost to. And because of that, it's fair to say this is a colossal disappointment that they underachieved on some level. Even if you're going to Game 7 of the conference finals, more was expected. And I'm very curious to see how they handle this offseason. Well said. I'm going to follow you up on that in a minute, but I, I agree with everything you just said. Howard Beck is my guest. I mean, yeah, ideally, you don't want your star to roll his ankle in the opening minute of the game. But in fairness, Miami has been without Tyler Hero. Miami's been without Victor Oladipo. They found a way to get it done. And they don't have that kind of talent. They don't have the depth or the talent that Boston has necessarily. And they found a way to get it done. Howard, to your point, so now what? Like, if they knew what to do, they would have never allowed it to happen. But where do they go going forward? Do you run it back? Do you stay the course? Or is there something inherently broken? And what changes do have to be made? If you look over the last, I don't know, whatever, five years, you know, they've been, you know, in some respects, the most uh, consistent great team in, in the East, right? No, no championship, but the number of times they've been to the conference finals with this Tatum-Brown core or Tatum Brown smart Tatum Brown smart Horford however you want to define it we we know there's they're capable of great things they have shown it in not only the regular season but in in a lot of postseason success just not the ultimate postseason success so this is where cooler heads have to prevail right and you know Brad Stevens is about as even keeled as you're going to find in a front office executive um I, I think this is one of those cases where you take a deep breath you wait a couple of weeks and you assess, but, you know, I, I do think there's – it's hard to decide which way to fall on this, right? You either look at the, the sum total of the last several years and say, you know what, we're a great team that is a break or two away from winning that championship um, and maybe just needs a little bit of, of massaging here and there. We shouldn't do anything dramatic because we have a proven record of this team achieving at a very high level. The flip side of that would be if you keep ramming your head into the wall, eventually you just have a headache and maybe it's time to try something different. I, I could see that. Um, I don't think, you know, anything short of, 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 you know, like last summer where it was Kevin Durant on the table. So you're considering trading Jalen Brown and breaking them up because it was going to get you Kevin Durant. Okay, fine. But I don't think you're trading Jalen Brown just for the sake of making change and breaking up this core. Um, and I don't know how seriously they'll even take that. I think – you know, it's, it's just due diligence. You have to at least explore what's out there. You always do. And, you know, they do have contract issues coming up too, right? Jalen Brown's eligible for the Supermax by virtue of that all-NBA selection. 
they are going to have payroll issues and tax issues and all kinds of stuff coming down the pike, and they, they have to consider all that too. So, Howard, what about that? Like, Jalen Brown just played the worst game ever on the biggest stage ever. So can you afford to pay him that super max, or can you afford not to pay him that super fat max? I mean, how good would you feel about offering him the super max after what we saw last night? I'd be gritting my teeth a bit. I'd be gritting my teeth a bit, but, you know, he won't be the first player where it's like, man, he's on the cusp of it. Yeah, he qualifies. Yeah, he's one of our most important players. But, boy, I don't know if if this is the right move um, for all the other reasons, right? Because it, it puts you in a real bind in terms of, of your ability to keep uh, building on top of that. Um, I also think you cannot just – you obviously aren't letting him walk. You're not letting him get to free agency down the road and walk. Um you want to do right by him too. So there's all these other things that come into play, right? It's, it's your messaging to him. It's your messaging to his agent. It's your messaging to other stars out there about whether you take care of your best players. There's a lot of other stuff that goes into it. That's more than just about a simple like accounting thing of does this salary equal the right amount of production and clutch play? Uh, so I, I, I think if they conclude that, you know what, we don't want to give him the supermax, but we don't think that that's, the smartest move for us for the next five years, then that's when you start to entertain possible trades or you, you put it off. You don't do the extension, but that can have consequences uh, in terms of your relationship with the player. It, it's a, it's a tough situation. I don't, I don't have the answer on that one. Uh, Brad Stevens has, has a, a very, and his, you know, an ownership there, everybody else have a difficult decision to make. We are talking to Howard Beck. All right, Howard, what about Miami? Like we know what we're going to get from playoff. Jimmy, he showed up huge again last night. What about everybody else? Like Caleb Martin is the latest example of Miami maximizing the output of a guy that few other teams wanted after he was undrafted coming out of Nevada. How do they do this? How do they find all these guys, absorb them into a culture? And it's one thing to get them to buy into a culture, but to produce at the level that they are when nobody else really saw very much in them. How do they do this consistently? <laughs> it's, it really is incredible, isn't it? Um, and, you know, we talk about heat culture. We mock heat culture. We get tired of hearing the phrase heat culture, but, like, you know, get used to it, folks. It's going to be... <laughs> It's going to be drilled into us for the next couple of weeks, and, and they've earned it. They've earned it because of, of where they are, because they've done this again with, you know, a, a, again, the team that on paper shouldn't be here, that shouldn't have knocked off the Bucks, that shouldn't have knocked off the Celtics. Um, and now we're all going to underestimate them. I think the early odds have come out, and the Nuggets are heavy favorites, and so we're going to underestimate them again, and they're going to play the disrespect card again. Uh, I've already referred to this as, like, the disrespect Olympics because the Nuggets – feel so uh so so you know shorted in attention and now the heat are, are the, the team that are the, uh, meeting them there and i think they like the heat are going to win the disrespect olympics because they will be the more disrespected by not being favored in this series uh but the nuggets will probably be be with the ones winning the championship um there is something to the culture thing jim like there is something to you come here and there are expectations um, whatever you've done previously, we don't really care. We see an outline of a player in you, whether it's Caleb Martin, whether it's Max Struess, whether it's Gabe Vincent. Um, and I think they're identifying guys who they know have a certain kind of toughness to them and who are willing to sacrifice and are willing to play a role and are willing to just play their butts off and play in a system. And Spolstra is the one who sets the tone. Um, Udonis Haslam, to some extent, <laughs> sets that tone as, as – quasi assistant coach slash player for life 
Uh, Pat Riley, obviously, it comes from the top. And so once you've established that, if you never stray from it, if you don't bend your rules for anyone, and we've seen this, right? Like some guys have, have gone there, they've tried, they've gotten the best out of them that they could, and then it's, you know, see you later. And we've, we've seen various versions of that over the years too. They haven't hit on all of the guys they've gotten, but they do expect a certain level of, of commitment and discipline and uh, all the way down to like the body fat percentages, all that stuff. And I, I, I don't think it's so much as, you know, developing guys, although there's a part of it. I also think it's just, they've identified something in these guys that fits what they do and that those guys are willing to be part of it. Well said. Howard Beck is joining us. So Howard, since I have you before you go, maybe a couple of other quick hitters, Bob Myers, according to Woj, is not going to return to Golden State. I don't think that's an enormous surprise to you. However, what do you think his decision came down to, and what do you think he's going to do now? Everything I heard up until this point was that if Bob walked away, it was going to be because he just needs a break. He's got uh, three young kids. Um, he's very much a family man, and he has, you know, th- that Warriors job, while there's been a lot of glory to go with it, and they've won all these championships, and it's been amazing, and They've got one of the greatest franchise players that you could ever want to work with, right? Like, Steph Curry is is a breeze compared to, to some other superstars who have ruled the league for the last, you know, 20, 30 years. So it's, there, there are aspects of it that, are, that make it easier maybe than the average GM job, but there's also aspects of it where the expectations, the pressure, the time commitment, and yeah, they've, got a, they've had a fair amount of drama, right? You know, Draymond and Jordan Poole, the punch last uh, October. Um, I just think that... that the cumulative impacts uh, over the last 10 years or whatever, impact's probably the wrong word. I just think that at a certain point you can get a little tired. Um, he's he, like Bob Myers has, has accomplished everything you could want to accomplish. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have the drive to do more, but to have the opportunity and obviously has the ability based on his finances to, to, to step back and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take some time for me and my family while my kids are still young. I can always come back and run a team at another stage like that's a that's a fantastic luxury that that he has, and every, like I say, everything that I've heard, nothing to do with the organization, with ownership, with players, with anything other than he wants to take a break. And I, I believe he's speaking to the media in another couple hours here, so we'll we'll hear straight from him what the thought process was. Makes sense. All right, one last question for you: Why do you think that Nick Nurse, who had his choice, why did he choose the Seventy Sixers over the Suns or maybe even the Bucks? Great question. Um, I don't have any specific intel on that at this stage, Jim, but um, look, he does have a history with Daryl Morey. Uh, Nick Nurse coached the Rio Grande Valley Vipers, the G League affiliate of the Rockets, back when Daryl was running the Rockets. So there is, a, I'm sure, a comfort level there. Um, you know, you're, you're looking, if you're a head coach at his level who's won a championship and who's regarded as one of the best tacticians in the league, you're, you're, I assume you're trying to plug into a place where you see some stability and a player or core of players that, that you can uh, have some, some confidence in, in having a long run with. The Suns, like, I, I don't know how long that's going to last. You know, Kevin Durant, the miles he's got on him, uh, the number of games he's missed over the last few years. Like, I think the Suns are a little bit more volatile. I think the Bucks, frankly, are kind of low-key in a – we're not quite to an inflection point, Jim, but – the supporting cast has gotten a little older and they've got contract decisions to make to bring back Brooke Lopez and Chris Middleton. Um, I think there are people who are looking at the Bucks in particular as, as a team that you don't know where they're going to be in another couple of years. And 
it's, it's too soon to start speculating about Giannis's future, but it also isn't. And people around the league are already kind of keeping an eye on it because that's what they do. Uh, I think the Sixers have their own volatility. You know, the, all the noise about James Harden potentially looking to go back to Houston. But assuming Harden stays and Embiid is the reigning MVP and you know they're going to spend and you know Daryl Morey's going to go all out every, every single offseason and, and, and during the season to keep improving the roster, I, I think it's probably just comfort level. Howard Beck getting it done, covering all sorts of ground, an NBA contributor to GQ Magazine, NBA insider for the Locked On Podcast Network, and so much more. Once again, game one of the finals is on Thursday night. Howard, great, great job. Appreciate you. And always good to have you on, Howard. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure, Romy. Thank you. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. (laughs) We're not even out of May yet, and Raider fan has already had the full experience. Raider fan is already experiencing the full Jimmy G experience. And here's how that goes. The second you rely on Jimmy, Jimmy gets hurt. Now, I'm not going to blame Jimmy for it. It's just the story and the arc of this guy's career. He's had some really bad luck. And I understand availability is your best ability. But man, this dude, that's not his best ability. Availability is not his best ability. His best ability is getting hurt a lot and and being very handsome. No matter what he injures, I mean, he can get that foot chopped off altogether and he'd still be the best looking guy in the world. And that was the most dominant story from the weekend in the NFL. I mean, not even playing yet and already the full experience. Because apparently the reason that Jimmy G is not on the field for the Raiders OTAs is because Jimmy is in recovery from a foot surgery that he had in March. I know, surprise! Apparently, he still has not passed a physical in Las Vegas. He still has not passed a physical yet. Double surprise! And apparently, that is not a minor detail or some small technicality either, since according to Mike Florio, Vegas had to build a clause into his contract that gives the Raiders a chance to potentially get out of a deal altogether if Jimmy never actually does pass a physical, which means it's still possible that Jimmy G will not be the quarterback of the Raiders this season. And that's got to have Raider fan freaking the hell out because... Say what you will about Jimmy. When Jimmy's out there and he's relatively healthy, he's relatively effective. I've said this a million times. When he was with the 49ers, whenever I asked a 49er teammate about him, they loved him. They always responded well to him. However, if he's not a Raider and he's not out there, then who the hell is their quarterback going to be? Now what? What are their options? Raider fan sees the rest of the QB depth chart, and this is what Raider fan sees. The destroyer, Brian Hoyer. All right, who's what, 37 now? Serviceable, 
in small spurts, but you're going to count this guy to play 17 games? The hell you are, rookie Aiden O'Connell and some dude named Chase Garbers. And then Raider fan realizes that they just ran Derek Carr right the hell out of town to bet it all on the most injury-prone QB in the game, who is showing up to Vegas pre-injured and already behind in off-season workouts that in theory he needs to get integrated into this offense. In the offense with his new teammates, but still has not passed a physical. Which is why Raider fan is all bent and freaking out this morning. And frankly, frankly, I get it. This dude had surgery as a Raider before he even had a single practice as a Raider. Figure that out. Make that make sense. But it could be worse. At least the team has the contract out. Which is great, except they don't have a quarterback. And Jimmy did bet big on himself. Clearly he thinks he'll be fine in time for the regular season, or he never would have agreed to a contract that guaranteed him nothing until he gets healthy. But that said, Jimmy also didn't think that he needed surgery when he initially broke his foot last December. At least I don't think that he thought so. Or maybe he did. Jimmy thought, remember when the 49ers said, we think it's a really serious injury. Now, wait a minute. You may not need surgery. In fact, you don't need surgery. You can make it back in time for the Super Bowl. Obviously, that was not the case. After all, he ended up going under the knife in March after he signed with the Raiders. Remember that was that one day when they were going to announce it? And then they didn't announce it. And then the next day, he's like, no, it's all good. So nothing to see here. Nothing to see here except that surgery I just had. So Jimmy thinks it's going to happen. Or maybe it's not going to happen. Bottom line is this. The earliest reportedly that he would be ready is for the start of training camp. But with Jimmy G, who the hell knows ever? He better be ready for the start of training camp because the Raiders have a lot of work to do, and it's hard to see them having a lot of success with a gimpy Jimmy G playing catch-up during the season only to go down yet again. It's hard to see them having a ton of success even with a totally healthy Jimmy G playing his best ball. And then, again, why did they run Derek Carr off? To get to Jimmy G, who needed ownership, who hasn't passed a physical yet? And no, Raider fan, this is not why Bacon 45 or 46 just bought an ownership stake in the team. I don't think Bacon Face is setting himself up to go in there and play savior if Jimmy G can't actually get healthy. <laughs> I don't think that Bacon Face saw the blood in the water and thought, here's an opportunity. Here's how I can leverage the guy, the old ginger bowl cut. He's got no quarterback. He probably wants to hang around with somebody famous like me. Probably needs an influx of cash. It'll probably get them to look the other way. All these things work in my favor. Oh, and I can play under center. Yeah, I don't think that's what he saw in that. In fact, I have no idea what the hell he had, what he did see in that. If he wanted to play quarterback and wanted that job, he could have had that job. 
they would have given him that job. I'm really not sure why he wants to buy into that franchise. I just know this. He's not doing it to be quarterback. If he wanted to be quarterback, he would be quarterback there. But instead, Jimmy G is. The guy who hasn't passed a physical yet. I think he is. Ultimately, Raider Honk, I'll tell you the same thing that I told Jet Fan last week. It's May. There's time. I wouldn't panic just yet. However, Aaron Rodgers tweaked a calf. Jimmy G has not passed a physical yet and had surgery after he signed. You know, and then I will say this. I did mention that the former 49er teammates that I spoke to loved Jimmy G. However, not every former teammate loved Jimmy G. Let's never forget what Marty B had to say. Bro, we lost two games. One of them was because Jimmy Garoppolo was being a bitch and didn't and try to quit. He quit before us on the last. Decided not to play right before the game, so we went out there. Jacoby Jacob came out and played with a up thumb and gave his played his heart out. But Jimmy was just being a bitch about it all, and he's still being like that's why he. You can't win with a bitch for a quarterback. Wow, you talk about a soundbite aging well. Marty B, who if you know anything about this show. No, that I, I loved him. We go way back. I was one of the first ones to popularize Marty B rapping about Cap'n Crunch. Marty B, though, body bagging Jimmy. And again, I don't want to be a hypocrite because I'm telling you, the 49er teammates that I spoke to loved him. Loved him. Marty B did not love him or he wouldn't have called him a bitch three times Bro, we in lost 30 two seconds. Games. You can't win with a bitch for a quarterback. Not once, not twice. Three times. Marty B body bagging. Jimmy G will never get old. But I'll admit, talking about this dude's injuries got old a long time ago. That's just the Jimmy G experience. What's incredible is Raider fan has already fully experienced the Jimmy G experience and we're only in OTAs. But you know what? That's exactly what the Raiders signed up for. And that's exactly what the Raiders are getting. Marty B just had stronger words about it. You can't win with a bitch for a quarterback. He's not wrong. I'm not saying that Jimmy G is that. Jimmy G's won some big games. But Marty B's not wrong when he says you can't win with a bitch for a quarterback. You can't win with a bitch for a quarterback. I, I don't like to argue with Marty B about anything. But I definitely will not argue that point. Hey, Raider fan, reaction. U.S. Cellular has some great news, especially for you, person listening to this podcast. Right now, you can get one line with unlimited data for just $29.99. So, unlike other cell networks, you won't have to pay for lines you don't need just to get a good price. Get one line for $29.99 with unlimited data today. U.S. Cellular, built for us. Terms do apply. Visit uscellular.com for details. Pierre McGuire is my guest. Pierre, it's always good to have you on. Good to have you back. How are you? Excellent, Jim. Nice to visit with you. You too, Pierre. So let's talk about last night. The Golden Knights absolutely dominated the Stars in their place in an elimination game. How impressed were you with what you saw from Vegas after they had let the Stars back in the series with two straight losses? Very impressed, Jim. I think the biggest thing with Vegas is the maturity of their team. 
some of the players that have tasted disappointment before, um, especially the guys that went to the Stanley Cup final in 2018. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is just subtle little moves made by George McPhee, the president, um, and Kelly McCrimmon, the general manager. Ivan Barbashev's made a huge difference from the, on that team coming over from St. Louis. The physical size of their defense is overwhelming. They're almost impossible to get to the net for a second or third chance opportunity against. And, and I would say the biggest thing is just the job that Sean Burke, the goalie coach, has done with Aiden Hill. I, I've been unbelievably impressed by the management, the coaching, and the response of the players uh, in, in Vegas. They've been tremendous. You know, I was talking to Kelly McCrimmon about that very thing, about their size, especially on the back end. In fact, they're big up front and out back. Pierre, how do you explain a team being where they are with five different goaltenders this year? Have you ever seen anything like that? No, I have not. Um, it's really unique. I've been in the league for almost 34 years now, Jim. I've never really experienced anything like that. Uh, whether I was coaching in the league or broadcasting in the league or scouting in the league or being in management in the league. I've never seen that in terms of a team go on a run like that. Now, I have seen teams that have started goaltenders uh, in the first round and switch over, whether it's in the first round or the second round. Case in point would be 2006, Carolina. They start Martin Gerber against Montreal. Doesn't go very well. They end up putting a young kid, Cam Ward, in goal. He ends up winning the Consmite Trophy as the MVP of the playoffs uh, when they beat Edmonton in a Game 7 in the Stanley Cup Final. So I have seen goalies switched out before, but to say that a team's had this kind of success with five different guys over the course of the year, I have not seen that, Jim. Pierre McGuire joining us. Pierre, not to uh, belabor the point, but you mentioned Aiden Hill. We're talking about a guy who had literally, literally no playoff experience coming into the postseason, yet he enters the final 7-3. and three. He's got a goals against of 2.3. He's got a save percentage of 9.32. When he got that call, did you expect him to play this well, or maybe did you not really have any idea what to expect from him? No, I did not expect him to play this well, and I had a lot of background knowledge of him. I watched him play junior with the Portland Winterhawks. I saw him play uh, in Arizona. I saw him play for San Jose. In fact, I watched him back-to-back days practice in San Jose before uh, he played against a team that I was working for in Ottawa, and I had no belief that this player would be able to do this. That being said, he's very big. He's extremely athletic. And what I've noticed is that he's really responded to the coaching of Sean Burke because he's, he doesn't drop as quickly in goal. Uh, he's more square to the shooter, so he takes away a lot of the net. And his athleticism is, is pretty darn good, Jim. So to put it all together, he deserves a lot of credit. He's clearly battled hard to get this opportunity. He's taken advantage of it. We're talking to Pierre McGuire. Pierre, you know what's really interesting is that was the third straight game in Dallas where the Knights took a lead within the first five minutes of the game. That, to me, is an amazing stat. Does that tell you more about Vegas or Dallas? tells you a lot about Vegas, not so much about Dallas. And it also tells me a lot about the way Bruce Cassidy coaches. You know, the first time I saw Bruce coach, he was in Jacksonville in the East Coast Hockey League. That was back in the mid-1990s. You see where he is today. It's phenomenal. And, and what I've noticed, Jim, is he turned his guys loose. One subtle line change last night, he took Nick Law off a checking line and put him on a fourth line with Keegan Colasar and Will Carrier. That's a line that really created so much havoc against Dallas in this game number six last night. And it tells me about a coach that just empowers his players to go out and play, tells them to be aggressive, make sure they're responsible defensively, but don't turn your back on offensive opportunities. And you could see they just drove Dallas nuts because of their pursuit of the puck, 
and basically an omnipresent forecheck that Dallas had no answer for. Pierre McGuire, my guest. You know, Pierre, I love the guy. I love Bruce Cassidy. Do you feel like there's vindication in the fact that Boston let him go? They had that historic regular season. They went out early this year, and here he is still doing what he's doing and has that team in the final. Is there vindication in that for him? I think so, absolutely. He's not going to say that because most coaches would never say that. But I think most people that have been around and been kicked in the teeth a couple times uh, in the professional hockey ranks understand that, you know, subtly you always feel some form of indication when you're going against a former team or you're proven to a team that let you go that uh, maybe you made a mistake. Pierre, what a kind of strange thing in that Dallas's only wins in the series came when team captain Jamie Benn was suspended. What do you make of that? The players in Dallas really respect Jamie. They wanted to make sure that the season wasn't over and he'd get another chance to try to redeem himself. What Jamie did um, was unacceptable. I thought the league handled it appropriately. I'm really glad that Mark Stone never got hurt. Um, I've known Jamie Benn since 2009 at the World Junior in Ottawa. He was a fifth-round pick out of Kelowna Rockets, Jim. Um, Character personified, tremendous leader, hard worker, I don't know what got into him that night, but he deserved his punishment. But it showed that his teammates really cared about him and, and pushed him to the next level to try to prolong the series. So that's not how his season would be remembered, so to speak. Didn't go out on a very good note last night, him or the team. That being said, it shows that his teammates, I think, really respect him. I agree with you. I'm not exactly sure what was going on. I think he had a bad, bad night at the office at a bad, bad time, and the punishment fits the crime, but I think you're right. I think they did play to try to give him another shot to come back, and then he got it, and it didn't matter. So, Peter, what about Vegas and Florida? They hook up in the Stanley Cup final. Really interesting matchup to me. What do you think about that matchup, and who do you like? I love the fact you said interesting matchup because I agree wholeheartedly. Here's some of the telltale signs. You'll know which team has a little bit of an edge in game one. If Vegas can break the puck out and really thwart the cycle game of the Florida Panthers early on in game one and not allow Florida to create havoc in the offensive zone, then I think that's going to be a problem for Florida. If Vegas is able to get a four-line game going and really target certain players in the back end. Aaron Eckblad would be one of the players. Uh, Brandon Montour would be another one of the players. Gustav Forsling would be another. If you see though, any one of those three guys taking huge hits, uh, the defenseman for Florida Panthers, then I think Florida's going to have a hard time. But if Florida doesn't spend a lot of time defending and more time attacking, that's going to be a problem for Vegas. You're talking to Pierre McGuire. So, Pierre, how do you think Vegas – is going to fare against Matthew Kachuk, who has been sensational in the postseason. Matthew has been overwhelmingly good, Jim, and uh, I couldn't tell you enough good things about the way. He, he can influence a game and a series in so many ways. First of all, with his dynamic athleticism. Secondly, with his physicality. And third, he is one of the most ardent competitors you'll ever meet. So you put it together, he, he can frustrate another team just by himself. He doesn't need teammates to do that. Just, that's how good he is. Um, they're going to have to have a five-man commitment to shut down his entire line. It's just not Matthew Kachuk. Um, it, it's the play of Sam Bennett and the physicality that he brings. And it's the, the I would say, the, the rat factor um, of Nick Cousins. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way, Jim. He's just... He's a nasty piece of business to play against. So that line is physical. They're fast. They're relatively big. 
um, and they lean on you and they drive you nuts. So, so for Vegas, they're going to have to have a five-man commitment to shut down three players. I love that. But if they He's don't, a... then they're going to have a problem. I'm sorry, Pierre. I was going to say I love that. He's a nasty piece of business to deal with. So, Pierre, what about this? What about specialty team play? Vegas does a lot of things really well, but killing penalties isn't necessarily one of them. In fact, their success rate is 15th out of 16 playoff teams. How big of a concern is that against Florida? Um, it's a concern. One of the things that I think skews that number just a little bit, not a lot, a little bit, uh, they played against the Edmonton Oilers in the second round, um, and by far the best power play in the league was Edmonton. And, and you know, until Vegas figured out they had to play five-on-five, five, um, they were going to be in a, a world of hurt, and they were. Um, and so, no, the penalty killing, and it's kind of shocking, Jim, to be totally blunt. Because of the size of the defense of, of the Vegas Golden Knights and the way they, they play in their own zone defensively five-on-five, five, it's almost shocking that they're not a better penalty-killing team. We'll see how it goes against Florida, but I would say that this is going to be a very physical series. There will probably be a lot of penalties early on in this series, and so they better have their penalty kill adjusted uh, for this really dynamic Florida power play. And if they don't, then again, they're going to have a problem. So we have another moment or two with Pierre Maguire. Pierre, what about, there's always that question of rest versus rust. Is the Panthers having nine days off between their last game and game one, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't think it's as bad for them, and I'll tell you why, Jim. If it weren't for a meltdown by the Pittsburgh Penguins in the last seven days of the NHL season, the Florida Panthers would, be, would have been golfing for the last month and a half. So they've basically been in a playoff hunt probably since the tail end of February. Just to get in, they had this sprawl, class, everything. They did everything they had to do to get in there. Um, and they were able to do it because one team fundamentally fouled up, and that was Pittsburgh. Um, so they kind of, I think this is good for them mentally and physically just because, you remember, they were down 3-1 to Boston, not an easy series. They went up 2 nothing against Toronto, then 3 nothing, and then stumbled a little bit. But emotional series, especially after a seven-game or they had to come from behind against Boston. So... I think this rest is actually good for Florida, for Vegas. They're battle-tested, and um, I, I think they're, this will be perfect for them. I, I think it's just – I don't think rest or rust will matter in this situation. Really interesting matchup. Game one of the Stanley Cup final between the Panthers and the Golden Knights is Saturday night, 8 p.m. Eastern in Las Vegas. Former coach, longtime NHL analyst, friend of the program, Pierre McGuire joining us. Pierre, great job. Always good to have you on the program, Pierre. Thanks so much. Love being on with you, Jim. Jim, thanks so much. Take care. Enjoy the Stanley Cup final. You too, Pierre. Meaning we are officially entering the home stretch of smack-off season. It's like we ramp up, we kind of dance around it a little bit, and like, oh, damn, we're in it. And we are in it. Believe me, it's going to fly. It's going to fly right on by. It always does. It just picks up momentum, and that snowball gets bigger and bigger and faster and faster. So if you have any business that you need to get taken care of, it is time to take care of it. If you need to snag yourself an invite, a.k.a. a golden ticket, I've got stacks upon stacks waiting for you right here. Come and get yours. If you want to RSVP, anytime is a good time. Or if you want to send a prediction video, and we have been bumping them in today, you can start doing that as well. They've already started. They're airing on CBS Sports Network. Shoot a 20 to 30 second video preferably horizontal pick a winner keep it clean again no sex drugs booze violence weapons nudity 
or anything else offensive enough that we cannot air it on national television. If you can do all that and satisfy all those requirements, send it to smackoffpicks at gmail.com. Smackoffpicks at gmail.com. It's very simple. So one month out from the big day also means the player profiles are in full swing. Today, we hit a competitor whose name has already come up quite a bit this smack-off season. A competitor who has already RSVP'd. An RSVP because he knows he's in. He wasn't going to wait for a profile. He wasn't going to assume the profile. But it tells me how much energy he has for it. It tells me he's locked and he's loaded. He's ready. A dude who has made it incredibly clear that he is a man on a mission with a disaster to avenge. Today, Mark in Boston gets the profile treatment. Now, if you just check Mark's resume, there are no straps. In fact, he hasn't even hit the podium. His best finish ever was a fifth-place finish way back in 2016. But the thing about Mark is, good or bad, his calls are always memorable. And he's not afraid. Not afraid to take a chance. Not afraid to take a big swing. Even if that big swing winds up a huge whiff. Which is exactly what happened at SmackOff 26 three years ago. He somehow took a legitimately brilliant idea of running down Jungle Legend and Radio Row staple Bill Romanowski. He got Romo to appear in a smack-off call, and then somehow, some way, even with Romo shot out of a cannon and beloved in the jungle, that epic cameo was boring as hell. Hey, Jim, guess what? It's Romo time. Hey, Romo here. That free solo guy is getting ready to scale Rick in Buffalo's nose. Plenty of holes for Alex Honnold to grab up there, Romo. Rick looks like he was the goalie for his high school darts team. He modeled his game after EJO. Brad's voice is so damn irritating, it gives me jock itch. You think that guy's voice is bad? Wait till you see his head. His dome has four sharp corners. When his kids want to unlock his iPhone, they point the face ID at the Minecraft guy. Sean, let's put down the cookies. What the hell? Good point, Romo. When you look like a giant glass of milk with eyes, it's not called eating cookies, though. It's called dunking them. And didn't even hit the board with that. Do you know how happy I was initially to hear Romo's voice in the smack-off? And do you know how hard it is to include Romo in your smack-off call and not finished in the top 10? Before smack-off 26, I would have alleged that that was an impossibility. Yet somehow, Mark in Boston managed to prove me wrong. But credit for the creativity, though. That's something that's been going on for several years. What celebrity can you pull into your call? And there, there have been some big wins, some big names. And Romo was a good idea, except that the execution was not there. Credit for the creativity, credit for the attempt. I'm serious. Like, I love that he was willing to take a chance. And I also love how much he loves the event, which he made very clear recently in his smack-off call 
Well, not so recently, but two years ago. He actually landed in the top ten with this call. And this is why we need the smack-off. Without your show this day, every caller would sound like Bobby in Brooklyn. Basically, local radio. Oh, yeah, hey, X-Man, love the show. First time, long time. I'm so freaking steamed about the Indians right now. Hey, Tito, why don't you spend less time grabbing your beanbag and doing the weird signs and coach the game? Anyway, traffic's bad. I'll hang up and listen. Jimmy, if you get rid of this smack-off... I will pay a 50K retainer to Mark Garagos and sue you for everything that you're worth. Bobby from Brooklyn was another old schooler, an intimidator. Bobby, I used to feel like, had a baseball bat in his hand at all times. and was not afraid to use it. And then he showed up out of nowhere a few years back. You never know. You never know. But hearing that makes what I'm about to say, hearing that makes what I'm about to play, even tougher because unfortunately for Mark last year's call did end in disaster. It ended in disaster because it ended without even starting. Basically his call did not even really happen. But what did happen is the single worst thing that can happen on the day of. And that's when your power goes out. The second you hit the air. We head now to Chowtown. It is Mark in Boston. Great to have you back. Mark, how are you? Oh, uh, hey, Jimmy. Thank you, man. Hey, here's a horse reference left call. Just... Dude, you're gone. Just ah! a, no. a picture of Mark in Boston's face like on oh, CBS Sports that. Network. No audio. Honestly, at this point, I don't know if I'm more... That's brutal. Funny for us, but about the least amusing thing in the world for Mark. This dude's put a lot of time and a lot of effort into these calls, and I'm grateful for it. He makes it better. He makes it better because this dude cares. He's competitive. He wants to win. He's talked about how important the event is to him. That's why... To lose like that on the big stage once a year is soul-crushing. However, if you think that Mark is going to quit, lie down, curl up, look for a place to die, disappear like so many others before him who got punched in the face by the jungle, you don't know this dude. And believe me, I've seen a lot of guys just disappear, have a bad experience, and they're nowhere to be found. I'm not even going to mention names because you know who they are. If you think Mark is one of those dudes, think again. Because he could not be any more focused than he is right now for the comeback. Temporary setback, setting up a huge comeback. At least that's the way he's approaching it. That's the way he sounds. He's already been in here to RSVP. So he's already shaken that off. He's like the heat. He took something really bad and he shook it off. He's already shaken it off. He's already RSVP'd and he's making it very clear. Now is his time. He's coming back for vindication. He's coming back for redemption. And he's coming back to win and talk bleep. And Jimmy, look, I get it. It's season. I don't have the authority to announce it's smack-off season. Only the host can do that, you self-important D-bags. But here's what I know. I've got a landline now. I've got some takes. They don't suck. And I'll be there on June 30th, baby. Peace. Peace. So I'm glad that this guy is still hungry. 
I'm glad that he still has that gear, another gear. I don't think we've heard the best from Mark in Boston. I think the best is still in front of him. And if he can make his best call on the biggest day, on set hard line, he has the talent, the skill, the game to hit the podium, or maybe even better. Again, it's only one person's opinion, but there is a reason Stucknut has got him at 8-1 to one to win. Same as Benny and Wisco. And the reason is, either of these dudes can do it on their best day. On his best day, Mark in Boston absolutely can contend for a strap or I would not be giving him a player profile. Hi, you know, do us a favor. You, Silk, the other has been. Please don't clog up a line for guys that matter, man. We'll hear from you on the Stucknut After Show or the Woodscoves. You can talk about the glory days there, man. Who wants to walk with Jeff in Richmond? You really should not brag about something you can't do. I mean, be honest. How long ago did the Type 2 beat us take those feet? Hey, Brad. You've won five of these things, and you still sell insurance with Reggie? Bro, you could have your own show in the middle of the night that no one listens to. Like, Sean, Rick, you're a science teacher, right? I have a physics question for you about gravity. Why are you able to grow hair on your face but not your head? It doesn't make sense. I am Detroit-born and brought up in freaking Florida. I've got the blood of a scumbag, and I was raised by Florida Man. You want Florida Man clones? You got Florida Man. A dangerous mix. The guy who will burn down your whole neighborhood and then walk his pet alligator on a leash around the flame. What a bad look for DA. How much longer is CBS going to keep paying him when they realize a teacher from Buffalo and a stay-at-home dad in Corona are better at talking sports than him? Hey, DA... How is it possible that your call could actually make me want to hear more Matt in L.A.? So, yeah, I do love the Red Sox, but Caleb always loves his tube sock. Does Romo cut up lines of creatine when he's at your table and offer you the mirror like, you want to hit this, bro? I just think it's kind of odd that NASCAR is the only sport where there's literally a crankshaft right in the driver's face the whole time. Oh, sorry, wrong segment. War playing Connect Four on Seal's face. Jim, I know the challenge before me is great. The odds are long. But much like Antonio Camardi when he found out his wife's tubes were tied, challenge accepted. Henry Winkler, Ron C., Larry Brown, good night now. <laughs> See, this is why I forgive this guy of that skit with Romo. This is why I forgive this guy of his power going out right at the start of his call. He's got that in him. So what I'm saying to you is, if that's the best he has, does his best on the biggest day get him on the podium or better maybe maybe that's mark in boston ready to show up for his seventh smack off he has three top tens he has a top five he has that one epic meltdown and disaster to avenge i'm looking forward to hearing what he has in a month he strikes me as a dude that i know is doing the work i know he's preparing i know he's honing his craft his skills I know he's going to be loaded for bear. I just hope that it lasts longer than two seconds this time. We're not doing a profile unless we think you've got a shot. Yo, Doc, it seems a little early for you to be calling. What's up? Vance Mack? Is it really you? I can't believe it. You're my hero. But, yeah, yeah, I'm a stuck neck team. Uh, Hold Doc. Uh, that's, that's my name. 
so, you know, the, the smack off is in 90 days, uh, Van Smack. Uh, it's uh, Bacon in Canada, uh, Steve in Houston, and me, uh, I, I'm in San Antonio. Uh, we, we just put out, just put out the odds, Van Smack, on whose turn it is to win this year. Not Not only was that not a good call, that was not a good idea. Not only was that not a good idea, that was about the stupidest idea. I don't don't know what moron tried to pull that off, but I bet it was Ray and S.A. That was terrible, man. Do you really think that I and the crew work as hard as we do on this show for that nonsense? I, I know. I'll impersonate the pool doc. <laughs> Your best Ray will not beat anybody's worst because that was the worst, but that might have been your best. Wow, dude. Way to bring me down. All right, when we come back, I think I will get back to the show if that's okay. Maybe some thoughts on DeAndre Hopkins. Like, how much value does he have at this point? Would KC bring him in? Would Buffalo bring him in? Is there a bidding war for this guy? And would he put either one of them over the top? Not that KC needs to be put over the top because they already are. But to see the difference between Buffalo getting over the top. Or I might go to a phone call. If you're on hold, stay there. There's a good chance you'll get through. 1-800-636-8686. Coming up on this show tomorrow, let's see what we have here. We go to the master grid because we are moving into June. Let's find out. John in New York, he has a golden ticket. Is he still going to have it a few minutes from right now? We're all going to find out together. John, my brother, what's going on? Hey, Jim, how you doing? You know, I just turned on the CBS Sports Network, and I'm walking around, and all of a sudden I hear my dog, and my nephew starts crying, and my dog gets out this, like, little, like a howling, boom, right through the screen door, and I look up at the thing, and I see this big, like, I thought they were making another Mucinex commercial with the big green blob and stuff. And then I realized it was Jeff and Richmond. It was the scariest thing I've ever seen on TV in my entire life, Jim. I'm calling up to please ask the execs at CBS. At least give us a heads up on what's coming up before you put it on the TV. Thanks a lot, Jim. I just wanted to put that out there. Come here, puppy. You don't got, I won't put him on no more. My dog is scared over here, Jim. Let me run, and I'll talk to you soon. John in New York saying that when Jeff in Richmond made his video prediction, the dog started to howl? And was it the nephew or the kid that started crying? And is it too much to ask, but can the suits at New York put a disclaimer or at least let us know this next take or this next graphic is extremely graphic in nature. Good night now!